0: what half do you think it was missing and then maybe we'll actually start the episode well no
1: it was like there were two legitimately good setups i thought like two beginnings of episodes where i was like oh okay these are two like legitimate problems for them to spend the rest of the episode dealing with and
0: i I do have to interrupt you this time because i realize it's so weird that we are purposefully talking about the episode and that you are motivated to talk about the episode. That took, like, 60 seconds for that to click in. Hi, everyone. My name is Nick.
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought you made that conscious choice on purpose. I'm Kyle. This is the Big Bang Theory theory. I thought we were doing, like, a cool David Lynch thing where we We are break doing a narrative- cool
0: David Lynch me- thing, which means that we just officially said the title, and I am still not sure where it's going— because I'm so thrown off by us doing things out of order, which, audience, we usually uh, – we watch this silly old television show, The Big Bang Theory. Also,
1: that was really pr- – I mean, I, uh, ambitious. Let's just call it ambitious to compare starting the episode just by actually doing our job and talking about the episode as uh, as a, a – a it's not even a good comparison. A David Lynch thing would have been like, hmm, scissors on – scissors on uh, – A cardboard walking go, you? Since the episode... Uh, Watch for the long green man.
0: (laughs) Since the episode is only getting started. Okay, guess what? Different show now. Here's what it's called. What's so great about David Lynch? Huh, Kyle? You think us starting the show isn't... Isn't appropriate? Really? Maybe kind of filthies the work that David Lynch has done comparing the two of us? Hey, um eraser head <laughs> every pencil's got one i don't need that movie let me tell you <laughs> this yeah no that's not what we do on this show um but no it's uh yeah we usually watch this television show and uh usually we start the show by talking about something that we're actually interested in but i, I had to interrupt Kyle because Kyle i think for the first time either of us the entire time we've been recording this, this show was like i have a bit I want to do about the episode because I'm invested in, well, not how great this episode was, as we will discuss, but (laughs) the the lack of conclusion.
1: Well, I'll explain exactly what was happening, okay? Why this entered into my brain. Because I'm tired. I got up super early this morning to make kind of a long drive. I had to take two cats with me, which was a little stressful, although it turned out they spent the entire drive just snoozing on my lap, which was adorable. Oh, yeah! But, uh... (laughs) Like That's the best feeling in the world, but then uh, I got here, and it's like, well, I'm supposed to be hanging out with family, but I also I am contractually obligated. Uh, just kidding. No one pays us to do this. Why do we do this to ourselves? But I was like... Well, I should definitely do this thing where I hang out with my buddy, which means I have to take time away from – I literally pop my head in the door. It's like, yo, fam, I'm here. And I was like, and now I'm going to ignore you to go watch an episode of The Big Bang Theory. So I'm just – which is fine. Like I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just explaining like – so I'm just sitting down and I'm starting the episode and I'm just – it's just sort of going along and I'm just sort of vibing and like mentally and physically distressing from the drive. And I'm like, ah, the the show's about to start. The show's about to start. Okay, the show's definitely started. Okay. I need a minute now we're going to get like the... And at some point, like, I think my brain just sort of glossed over the, like, intro sequence. So there was definitely a point where the episode ended where I was like, no, that can't be right.
0: Kyle, you, you just remind me of two things. One is there was the Key and Peele sketch where they were trapped in party purgatory, and
1: oh God, that's a great sketch.
0: <laughs> yeah, where it's the, it just keeps going and going, and they're waiting for that the, the build-up yeah, ve- to drop and finish, but can't get there.
1: Very, very particularly, they're trapped in a. Uh, who are those two guys? The, they, they're uh, Red right food and LMFAO. Yeah, yeah, Red they're, Fu trapped and in an, they're trapped in Sky Blue. They're trapped in LMFAO universe purgatory. Um,
0: so that's the first thing you remind me of. The second thing is that. This reminded me of, uh, hey, let's, this isn't an oversharing personal life story because it's not even really a story. It's just more of an experience. Hey, sometimes in my past, I've done drugs to see what they're like and they're pretty fun. But I can't remember if it was either hallucinogens. Well, it was some sort of hallucinogen, whatever. But I had for the sensation, the sensation that, uh, I was stuck in, like, a 30 or 60 second loop, that time was no longer moving forward and that whatever I'd consumed and put in my brain had essentially unstuck me from time and I was doomed to live there forever. And had that happened, had I done exactly what I just described while watching The Big Bang Theory, I don't know if I could keep doing this show. That would be... (laughs) to, To like know that my brain for, you know, however long time actually passed, but internally was... Uh, a literal eternity. <laughs> uh, that's that's an experience I don't think I can move past and still have fun chit chats about. Fortunately, I think I was probably just like watching some Simpsons Wave videos, so you know I didn't spoil a big swath of media that way. But ah, uh, whatever. Anyway, we should actually talk about the episode, which I guess is where we started. But as Kyle has uh, brought in initially. Doesn't really feel like a whole episode. And, uh, yeah, I will reiterate, the official title uh, is Season 6, Episode 7, The Habitation Configuration, and, yeah, A-plot and B-plot. A-plot is supposed to be, it never really gets there, that uh, Wallowitz has yet to actually move out of his home. Um, He and Bernadette are married now, and he promised when he got back from space that he was going to move out, or at least that's what he said in this episode. I don't remember if that's true. Uh, but- yes, yeah,
1: remember, because there was the whole episode where he was in space and he was lying to both his mother and Bernadette about who he was going to end up living with, and that other astronaut was like, you play dangerous game, little man, because the astronaut was big in Russian, and... Uh, I don't know if that was the same episode where it was implied. I don't think so. Probably not. But you know, we now know that all of those episodes, those astronauts were mercilessly bullying him. Yes, uh, the whole time. So,
0: which again is the thread that I wish season five were all about. But no you're right uh, I, I remember the lies I don't remember I just assumed I guess it didn't happen but I just assumed that at some point like in between episodes he must have come clean but no you're right like he uh, absolutely told both of them that he was gonna just stay with them forever so in this episode Bernadette is like hey grown ass man move in with your wife because we don't live here anymore and the whole summary is that he's he's uncomfortable about doing it he eventually does there's this weird part where he starts talking about how lonely his mom was, and how he, when he's learning magic, like cheering her up, doing magic tricks, and seeing her not be lonely for like those sixty seconds or whatever, was a wonderful feeling. And I was like, where the what the hell show is this? All of a sudden, like not like the the closest thing to like, I don't I don't want to say negative emotions, but like that this wistfulness, I guess, this nostalgia that Wallowitz is feeling it's a healthy kind of pain i guess like the only ever other mature emotion ever comes up is the vague responsibility of being in a relationship <laughs> and that all of a sudden wallowitz is like oh god my mom and i had such a hard time and just this house thinks me think of everything we went through and i'm like get the fuck out of here all right like no it's too late to put in the sad mom backstory get the fuck out wallowitz well, we did
1: we did know he was abandoned by his father. That had come up several times. So it's just, I just and also I don't. It's like I feel like why is it that I mean maybe this is. Well, I'm sorry again. I am I, my brain is tired. So I'm but I'm just going to say they also imply that being into magic tricks is caused by you know deep emotional trauma, which I only point out because I think it's also in arrested development that you find out the reason Joe Bluth does magic is because of incredible like parental neglect and emotional trauma and there just seems to be this recurring theme in media that the only reason people would ever become magicians is because you know deep-seated emotional trauma which actually i don't know enough about to disprove that theory
0: well that's exactly what i was gonna say so this is not my recommendation but i recently read uh the body keeps the score which is a book all about uh trauma and how whether or not you are aware that uh things that fucked you up fucked you up it's 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 buried somewhere, in. <laughs> and um, one of the things that um, came up in regard to that trauma and holy shit, I think my I'm maybe too tired or something because my blank my mind is now totally blanking. Oh my god, why the heck did I just start talking? David about
1: Blaine, Chris Angel,
0: oh magicians, yes, is that um <laughs> okay? That's. Anytime someone mentions a magician around me, I focus up again. But yeah, uh, something that the book talks about is that, like, the idea that trauma fucks you up somehow apparently is something that everyone has intuitively understood forever, but that in medicine was kind of disregarded because there wasn't anywhere to any way to empirically prove it, and not until very recently has this. Kind of like common sense, but not really factually proven. I guess intuition idea start to actually bear fruit where it's like, oh, wait, maybe we were onto something, and we just didn't know how to test that yet. And the reason I bring that up is like, someday we're gonna do studies on magicians, and we're gonna, <laughs> there's gonna be a common thread, and I think the common thread is what you you brought in, what well, what the episode brought up, that like, what 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 magician like had a good life before they decided that, yes, I have to lean back on the dark arts of illusion and con con artistry. (laughs) Like, that's... They they, they spend so much time trying to hide things from you, no one ever asks what they're hiding from. That's the problem with magicians. But, ah, anyway. Yeah, mom drama. It, It came into this episode, and I thought it was really weird. And out of place for what is always so often just like a happy wacky goofy whatever um even though yes it has been made clear that wall which was abandoned at some point fuck him um and then b plot is um i think actually the more substantive part of the episode but it it this is like a bad sign for me right from the get-go is that uh we we open well It was a little bit of a trick. Uh, Sheldon is doing a recording of his his flag show. Amy is directing and at the camera. And Will Wheaton shows up as guests, which makes it immediately, in my eyes, a bad episode. (laughs) And so the real meat is that Amy is a stern director. Will Wheaton, I think both in character and just as will wheaton because the more he appears in the show the more i realize or believe at least that he doesn't actually know how to act and so he's that there's
1: no separation between will wheaton the person and every character will wheaton has ever played
0: well it, it's i felt like it really stood out in this episode because like the, the whole intro here is that amy is like sheldon baby you are perfect will Oh my god, you are like a wooden puppet waiting for somebody to pull your strings. Please, please, please bring some life into it. And Will Wheaton, like, he's like, hey, you know I'm doing this for free, right? This is like a favor. You're going to talk to me that way? Acting aficionado Will Wheaton? And it's like, maybe if this were an actual actor, I could understand the frustration but Amy is one of, I'd say, about seven billion people that don't have anything holding them back from yelling at Will Wheaton. Like he's not, he's not higher status than any of us. All right. And um, Sheldon, however, and another thing too is like I'm getting a little carried away now, but like I don't know what he's doing here. Like, <laughs> why does he? What are they friends now? Like they? I can never tell between him and Sheldon.
1: Yeah, I, they bur- they buried the hatchet some point but i can't remember exactly how that came about uh,
0: yeah so anyway sheldon is now completely enamored with him will wheaton is shitty to amy and sheldon completely oblivious to like facial expressions and emotions uh, is like oh well amy just volunteered to leave the set so i get to have more time with my hero will wheaton and the rest of the episode is about like sheldon you've got to be more aware and uh he talks it out with amy They don't really reach any sort of horde that I can. They don't.
1: There's no part of this episode.
0: Well, that just caught me off guard because the conclusion is that at some point, uh, uh, Sheldon goes to the quote unquote cheesecake factory where Penny works again. That she reminds everyone of. He she gets him uh, skunky drunk on log island island iced teas, and then he goes to Will Wheaton's house to confront him, and then he just apologizes and it's over. And so that, in my mind, I was like, oh, right. B-plot concluded. Vical, you're right. Amy is just left in the lurch this whole time. Like, she's yeah. still mad, cross-armed, while her drunken boyfriend is pounding on doors and making, like, promises he won't even remember. So that's the B-plot. Yeah, completely unresolved. <laughs> anyway. you want, so, Yeah, because I
1: thought it was going to come back around to, like, uh, to be honest where I was hoping it was going to go is after he gets super drunk, Sheldon shows up at Amy's house. Like, and it's the first time he's actually capable of being like a horny and a person because he's so jazzed on long Island iced tea. I was like, I was, I mean, I won't say I was looking forward to it, but that seemed the logical place to go. And not he, he crawls out to Will Wheaton's house and challenges him to a fight.
0: You wanted drunken Sheldon horny with testosterone and victory to come back to Amy's place and they be like, I don't know exactly where this goes, but I'm going to put it everywhere I can until it works. <laughs> and that's uh, that their relationship would blossom from there.
1: I, I mean, does that sound worse than anything else that's ever happened on this show?
0: No, not even by a little bit. That's like, I wish that they would uh, move the relationship forward a bit because, yeah, it's... Well, and I was thinking about this. So Amy has... I I think if you have you as you've pointed out I think correctly basically become the female Wallowitz where she is now the fiendish sex creep, and at the same time Wallowitz has been softened out by bernadette, and especially in this episode, I was thinking like did is bernadette like and maybe this is too cynical, but does her character exist just to make Wallowitz less creepy? Was it like a few seasons in there was like focus testing or whatever and people are like, yeah, well, whenever we have a Wallowitz word cloud, research has uh, trigger warning everybody, rape, like 10 times bigger than every other word on the cloud. So we need someone to show the rest of the cast and society that he's less of a danger. Enter Bernadette. Like that's... I haven't thought that that was ever maybe intended until this episode. And the reason is, is because like I continue to have zero understanding of what Bernadette sees in Wallowitz, and her character, I think is so much more charming yet. So underdeveloped that I really think that she was like a Wallowitz antidote first and foremost.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought about it that way, but that I find that explanation totally plausible. It's like a Penny needs more girlfriends Yes. And B, like these these male half these male characters aren't really working the way we wrote them, so we need to give them new drama by introducing girlfriends. And instead of doing that for Raj, he has just once again disappeared from the show.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to say perfect character, but you, yeah, you're right. He's just not around anymore, is he? <laughs> yeah. Occasionally, you know, he, he shows up when they make a joke about him being like effeminate or gay or something, and then he's gone for or like Indian. Two or three Don't episodes. forget Indian. or Indian, Indian yeah. and
1: possibly gay.
0: Well, yeah, and not even just Indian, but, like, doing racist caricatures, like, oh, that's, God, was this, okay, you know what, we we came into this episode hot, ready to talk about it, and I think that is because um, it was frustration that was just, like, r- boiling over, <laughs> and yes. so now I'm in this weird spot where I feel like we've been so negative, like, is there anything about this episode that you enjoyed? Yes, I will, the, okay, there was one
1: specific thing. <laughs> when... When the first, not the, Sheldon goes to the Cheesecake Factory scene, but the first scene where Wallowitz and Penny, or Wallowitz and Bernadette.
0: Bernadette, Yeah, I skipped over that, but yes, they go to dinner for the Cheesecake Factory. And that's where they're having the
1: conversation about whether or not he's going to move, and he's being evasive. And Penny shows up, and she's like, sorry, I, you know, I, uh, sorry it took me a while to get over here, but you used to work at the Cheesecake Factory, Bernadette. You remember what it's like. And Bernadette's like, oh, are you are you uh, understaffed or something? And she's like, no, I just don't care about this job. So I don't do it very well. Yeah, and, that was
0: good.
1: <laughs> and and she like there's a like as she just proceeds to watch them have their conversation. Walowitz is like, do you have other tables to wait on? And she's like, well, yes. But again, already explained. I'm bad at my job and I don't care. They don't pay me enough. And I was like, that is – I really think that is the most uh, – that is the part of the show that is probably – the fact that uh, Penny is a waitress who recognizes that she is not valued and doesn't actually feel any need to perform well at her job. Yeah, I, I vibe with that.
0: Yeah, that was nice. Uh, it it was, it was weird, too, because I – uh, again, wondering about the intentionality of certain lines when that, that, that first thing she says about how, remember I work here, and I'm a really bad waitress. Part of me was like do, do you feel like you really needed to remind us of that? Like, Not just because it was a fun line, but like literally because it's been so long <laughs> since you worked here that like <laughs> the audience needs a reminder of what you do when you're not hanging out with, with Leonard. Um, so I don't know. It's I also thought it was funny. I'm not trying to say, like, to diminish from it, but that when the first time she says, I'm a waitress and I work here and I'm bad at it, I was like, all right, well, I guess they just needed to give us another quick penny summary for anyone that <laughs> hasn't been watching for however many seasons. But
1: I think that's probably also true. That's like, there's definitely, and me saying there was definitely some show I was watching without even being able to remember what the show was does not. Help here, but I was definitely watching some show the other day. Uh, where they were do like I finished one episode and they immediately started the next episode. And like every third line was like a, a recap of what had just happened in the previous episode. And I was like, this show's coming out now, in the middle of streaming. Why are they doing this? Who needs I mean, first off, the episode began with like a recap thing that I pressed a button to skip. So if I wanted needed to see what happened in the previous episode, I could have watched it. And also, no one watches just one episode of TV anymore. They always watch like three back to back. Why are you? Why are you? Like, why are you writing dialogue in which the characters make reference of things?
0: Yeah, well, that's that a strange thing happened. to think about too. Is like, with everything being so available, what an artifact it will become to like future generations to watch any of like the television series we watched, and they have these recaps. Who like? Why did they? Were people? Did they have brain problems in the past? Like, could they not remember enough? It's like, no, no. Like, TV, you know, the episodes used to come out only once a week or every two weeks even. It's like, was there not enough television? Like, what? Why did that happen? Like, it's just not going to make sense. Um, I also felt similarly when I was uh, handling some video tape cassettes the other day, and I was like, the fact that these feel like a totally normal, natural object for me to hold and not like a fossil is proof that I myself um, am mostly dust at this point that like technology that was novel 40 years ago. I'm still like, Oh
1: yeah, this one of these babies works fine. <laughs> That's like, I haven't watched the, I haven't watched an episode of stranger things in years, but there was a clip on TikTok. Where one of the characters, the show is set in the eighties. In case anyone out there is somehow watching oh, The Big Bang Theory and I was not watching Stranger of that Things,
0: I, really? What if not it suggest that it's set in the eighties, Kyle? I couldn't. Like, yeah, no, yeah. that's okay. well. I feel someone mentioned this on another podcast I was listening to, and I feel bad that like I gave up on Stranger Things because it's so eighties heavy. But then they're like, it's still good. So uh, anyway, sorry. Go ahead.
1: I yeah, I didn't find it. I mean, I barely thought the first season was good, and that's the one everybody's over the moon about. So
0: uh yeah if you didn't like the first season you're right not to follow up because it just gets worse (laughs) but
1: uh um anyway there's a clip on tiktok where it was like well you know she returned the vhs of fast times at rizmont high and it was paused at you know one hour and 18 minutes and we all know what that means and uh i was like no no one in this audience knows what that means this this is it's like i well i know i do actually know what that means but it's like it's i know like, what it means yeah and of course i haven't even the, seen the movie and i know exactly what it, it means I mean, yeah because i guess it's like kind of a me like an early meme or something but well i i had two thoughts the first was that a this is an incredibly niche reference even for this 80s heavy show and b no one returned like no one would have returned a vhs tape i mean you would have either rewound it to the beginning or you would have played it to the end to cover up your crimes. No one would be so audacious and bold as to return the VHS. Still paused at the moment of shame. It's time
0: for Nick Hyde's Oversharing Life Stories. It's time for Nick Hyde's personal Oversharing Life Stories. I know kai usually, usually sings a song but I couldn't help it because this is the perfect moment for it this time. Real quick, um, i have never like stolen or borrowed or whatever like any pornographic media that was then like returned like where where it would have been you know i I, what happened here was it phoebe cates was she in fast times at ridgemont high yes and
1: there's a there's a scene where she takes her top off i think as part of like a dream sequence or something
0: yes and so back when pornography was not um everywhere all the time and naked skin was something that you wouldn't have immediate access to these brief glimpses and movies had to be held onto and remembered forever. Um, But no, the oversharing personal stories is uh, I was at a friend's house once uh, staying over for a couple days. And you know what? Maybe I did use that friend's computer to look at some stuff. And you know what? Maybe in my, in my post recovery haze, I didn't think about what the fuck I was doing. And I left the computer right there, right on open to where it was. And oh then, no! Yeah, just so my, like this. It's so this when was you're before saying they had
1: tabs, so it and was when just, you're saying yeah. no
0: one could be so bold or brazen, and I'm like, you know, Kyle, technically correct, but they can be just such a fucking goof that they <laughs> just blissfully unaware. <laughs> oh my god! Like I just um. So yeah, uh, but. As for the actual episode, I don't know. Like, I could go on about how much I hate Will Wheaton, but I think I've already made it clear. Um,
1: well, we should... How do you feel about LeVar Burton?
0: Totally fine. So, like, it's... Like, I feel silly judging either of them based on... Well, and I'm not judging Will Wheaton based on just this episode, because he's been in this a bunch. But, like, LeVar Burton, yeah, I guess he gets uh, a lot more clout just from me culturally in the first place. But... Like, Will Wheaton, when Amy is making, is giving him direction at the beginning of the episode about how wooden he is, like, he does appear to me, when he's trying to take that direction, wooden. And I don't think it's a joke. I think he is so unnatural trying to act like he doesn't know how to act or he's upset about acting that it reveals. That he doesn't actually know how to be a human. Levar Burton shows up, and I'm like, "Look at this cool guy! Look at this big swinging dick showing up, having a good time." Everyone's happier. The room's a little bit sunnier. Nothing about him or his uh, his performance or and again, he's already miles ahead of Will Wheaton in my head from the get-go. This did not set him back. Happy to have him. Um, you know, I get the only thing the only thing about Levar Burton that gives any little great rain cloud, and I don't know if it's much. Uh, he seems a little too horny for Jeopardy, you know. I think I hear the occasional headline about how he's unhappy, how that whole process went. If any of that's true, let it go, Mister Burton. You're think, better than Jeopardy.
1: I, I, yeah, I think I think he's moved on now and he's fine. But I also think I would be upset. I mean, I think the funniest part of that now is is just knowing that uh, Mayim Bialik and LeVar Burton like must had met before that whole drama ever played out. Probably very briefly. I mean, they were only in this one scene together that was probably shot over the course of, like, in, an hour at most. This but. is how it
0: began, Kyle. This was like, we're taking Trebek down. The two of us, we're not real nerds, not like these others. And then Maya Bialik just keeps her mouth shut because she's like, I have a molecular biology degree. Uh, but there, there's LeVar Burton It's like, we're going to get that mustachioed motherfucker. Didn't work out for him. Mayim was too uh, too much on him, I guess, too... too uh, Intelligent with her advanced degree,
1: I personally uh, find that decision baffling. If if you were to ask me who should be hosting Jeopardy of those two people, that's not even a close contest. But whatever, Kyle, I think you, you do what you said makes her he's almost too good for it. So, good for I one hundred
0: percent agree. It's like he, Maya like I don't know her aside from you know when I was a child she was in Blossom and everyone like knew about that show because she wore a lot of hats. But again. That was in like the mid-80s when she was a baby child. Who knows what people are going to be like yet. She grows up as an adult. And the only acting of hers I'm aware of is in The Big Bang Theory, where she is this stilted, awkward nerd. And then her public persona seems not that far detached from it. And it doesn't seem like something that I would want to return to nightly. But yeah, LeVar Burton... He, like, yeah, he doesn't need it, but if he had it, I'd, I'd support it 100%. <sighs>
1: right.
0: Fuck. Let's move on to things we enjoy. Yeah, maybe, we'll just spread this little
1: LeVar Burton appreciation episode and move on.
0: Yeah, he's so... Uh, everyone loves him. Anyway, so this one um gang was a little more rough than I expected. I have a thing I'm excited to talk about to to wipe the palette clean, but... Uh, I thought that with the energy we brought in that we would really <laughs> have more fun with the things we didn't like about this one and instead. Ugh. So Kyle, for a more pleasant time, uh, do you have a weekly recommendation that you'd like to start with or should I go first?
1: I'll start just because it's uh, it's super re- uh, so well,
0: I will say mine's also a re recommend, so if you want to take time, please do. So don't feel obligated yeah, okay. to.
1: Well, it's not. It's basically so. Uh, the in the time between last recording and this one, Tim Sale died. Tim Sale was a uh, comic book artist who is, uh, who worked in the business for a long time. And, uh, I don't know if this is fa- He's most famous to me for his collaborations with a guy named Jeff Loeb, that they did a lot of work together across both Marvel and DC with multiple different superheroes, but maybe different people know Tim Sale for different things. Uh, But probably his most famous work with him and Jeff Loeb is uh, Batman, the long Halloween, which Mm. is a pretty kick-ass mystery story about Batman attempting to solve uh, an incredibly complex set of serial killings, which now that I think about it is also the plot of the new Batman movie, but the long Halloween is... In fact, that movie must have been at least partially inspired by The Long Halloween because it also has the whole Catwoman subplot that's also in The Long Halloween. But that's not important. What's important is the comic book is much better than that movie with Robert Pattinson, whether you like it or not. And the art style in it is very distinctive because, you know, Batman is like tall and weird and shadowy and all of the of all of the... You know, the classic crew of uh, almost everybody in, like, his rogues gallery appears in one chapter or another, and there's even one scene where they're all, like, hanging out together, and it's just, like, the way they're drawn is fantastic.
0: Well, and is that, if if I'm remembering, that one doesn't have, like, a really clean, hardline art style. Like, when you say Batman is shadowy, like... If I'm remembering right, it's because, like, everything has kind of, like, a shadowy, smeary look. Is that, or am I just...
1: Yeah, it's, like, his, like, nobody has, like, crisp out. And that's, like, an artistic choice that he's making, I think. So that, like, everything everything looks kind of, like, uh, you know, sort of, like, like weird, like, everything looks like it's sort of, like, melting into the shadows in the background constantly. It's just, like, a lot of ink and blackness. And uh, it's a good look, but that's not actually uh, if the one I would recommend because a friend of mine was just going over it recently and sending me all their favorite bits from it was uh, Superman for all seasons, which I believe was uh, partially the inspiration for the show Smallville um, in that it was one of the first modern reexaminings of like Superman's origin story and his time as like a teenager. So it's basically four interconnected Uh, Superman stories each one themed around a different season and each one set at a slightly different point in Clark's life from childhood to adulthood Clark Kent Superman I, I sometimes talk about these people like they're real because that's what being a nerd is and so yeah it's just like a really like you know it's like a really uh sort of Americana look at just like this you know idealized vision of, like, small-town Kansas that starts with him, like, you know, all with all of this power and responsibility and trying to figure out what he wants to do, and then, you know, at one point he moves off into Metropolis, but life is hard in Metropolis, so, you know, young baby Superman comes back, he's only been Superman for like a few months, but now he's back in Kansas, you know, trying to reground himself and remember why he, you know, believes in truth, justice, in the American way anyway, so it's a very, like, For a Superman story, it's very slow and sort of meditative. And in that sense, it's kind of, you know, beautiful and grounded. And uh, I think a lot of it's held up by um, his art style because he (laughs) draws, my friend is like, he draws Superman like a giant block of tofu, which is sort of an affectionate way of saying. That like the way Tim Sale draws Superman is he's like very big and bulky and he looks, you know, he looks, you know, so when he's doing stuff like catching a, you know, a bullet train or like lifting or like dragging a, a, uh, you know, a 5,000 ton tanker out of the water, you're like, oh yeah, he looks like those two things have approximately the same weight and density to him. That makes sense. So it's, you know, it's good. He just draws Superman sort of like this big, you know, like this big beefy dude. Like we we've all like we all had at least one of those guys that we knew in high school, just a tall, good-hearted, chunky boy. Yeah, he doesn't have wished... the
0: lithe like kind of spandex suited body, but it, like
1: No, like... he he looks like a big like reaff- reassuring squishmallow.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. <laughs>
1: And so that was the art of Tim Sale. There's also a whole bunch of. I'm also really fond. One more recommendation: Uh, he did a storyline where he drew the Hulk, uh, and and uh, his Hulk story is very, very sad because all good Hulk stories are very, very sad. Um, But uh, it's kick ass as well. So those are my recommendations. Excellent. Tim Sale, rest in peace. Uh,
0: R.I.P. Mister Sale. Thank you for your work. I was going to say thank you for your service. And I was like, Jesus Christ. But I said it anyway. So, all right, cool. Um, Well, for me, I have been all over the place with things I've been watching in video games and playing. And while there is a lot of good new stuff that I have experienced, uh, I found myself wanting to kind of go through a bunch of games that I just hadn't played in a while. Like, I, I got the hankering to play some Hollow Knight And I was like, ah, there was a reference to it in another video game. And I was like, I'll play that for a few minutes, see how that feels. And I have found myself, again, 100% absorbed in it. And so I am like 99% positive that I have recommended Hollow Knight before, uh, probably pretty early on in the show. But I am going to recommend it again. And uh, I think, so my friends often... Get, make fun of me and give me a lot of shit for not liking anything which is inaccurate uh unless we're talking about those friends i like none of them but
1: um it is true that I'm i am say so i give you shit for that because <laughs> yeah hey guess what th- you're on to be the fair, list. i think it's slightly more fair to say you just don't like anything if you find out anyone else likes it i've never heard you be like you know this thing that everyone else likes i also like it unironically and think it's cool
0: i like crunchy peanut butter Somebody doesn't like that. They can fuck clean off. I'll tell you. That. I like
1: creamy peanut butter.
0: Oh well, sorry, buddy. It's not going to work. We we made it a good four or five years of uh, podcasting, but that's it. Um, but so yeah, no Hollow Knight. In spite of me, so I think the issue. It's not that I don't like anything. It's just like I'm great at complaining about everything. I love complaining. Uh, you know, you could I, I could try to characterize it as critiquing, which sometimes it is. But I just love bitching about stuff. I do uh, a Hollow Knight. It's one of those games that I can't find much to complain about. But because I love complaining, I'm going to talk about Metroid Dread. <laughs> um, so Hollow Knight is my recommendation, but I need to compare it to Metroid Dread uh, because I think the distinction um, really clarifies for me why Hollow Knight is like such a perfect game. And that is, both of these games are Metroidvanias, which is a stupid word, but I've accepted that it is the only word for that genre. Uh, I've heard other proposed terms. One of the first ones I heard was grid gate, which I've never liked. I recently heard the term search action, which I think is better, but uh, you know, Metroidvanias where you, they're 2d, you've got a big map you could fill out. Uh, it's you're you running the dead ends because you find out that you either can't get through that dead end until you have found a special power or a secret, or it could just in fact be a dead end. And the flaw in that game design, like from the the OG, like the original Metroid, and I've talked about this on the show before, is that if you don't hold someone's hand through that and you just let them walk into a blind uh, cave without what they need and they get lost and stuck and frustrated and that's not any fun. And so modern game design, and this is where Metroid Dread comes in, have done a lot to make that situation less frustrating but so, in Metro, but the problem I have with Metroid Dread, as compared to like older Metroids, is that, you know, the first Metroid, you're a bounty hunter, you go to a mysterious planet, you fight a mysterious life form, you're all alone, it's scary, you don't know what's going on, and you find these artifacts that give you powers, and that's never explained partially because, uh, you know, it's mysterious, and partially because no one gave a shit back then. And then as they make more and more Metroid games, they... they Everything is more familiar, and now every planet you go to has some sort of connection to this ancient set of artifacts, and then the newest game, Dread, it it brings back this AI from an older game that tells you everywhere to go and what to do, and uh, there's this video when Metroid Dream, Dread came out of, um, I think it's David Jaffe, who is one of the guys, that, well, he might be the guy who created God of War, um, and the Kratos character. And there's a video of him playing like the first hour or so of Metroid Dread in screaming in frustration because he was in a room that didn't have an exit. And the people online were like, you know, if you just listen to the AI... It would have told you that some blocks, in spite of having no obvious markings, can nonetheless be destroyed. And he's like, that's shitty game design. Like, I shouldn't need a computer to tell me how to do something to get through a room because there's no clues to let me how to do it. And everyone made fun out of him and told him he was a big, dumb idiot. Uh, and they are all wrong. David Jaffe is right. That is shitty game design and it's something that it was inherent in the old Metroid games and just keep getting carried over. And instead of fixing it, they keep finding more and more ways to just get around it and it's stupid and bad. Hollow Knight has all of the positives of a Metroid. You're in a gigantic map, like bigger than any of the Metroid games, I think. Like that's maybe one of the few criticisms why I have Hollow Knight is it's almost too big. Um, and I also more...
1: remember you, well, I... I'll, I'll wait. Oh, no, go ahead. I was, I also remember specifically you got very critical of the difficulty spike near the end of the game. I mean, I remember it being a hard game throughout. I've was never. i never beaten it, but I just remember you, you thought it got a little bit too redonkulously difficult, like, right at the end.
0: I, I'll have to see how I feel about that again, because I'm getting close to the very end right now. But I know that, like, this is maybe my third, maybe even my fourth time playing through it. And there is an event, like, I don't know, halfway through the game where... Uh, All of a sudden, a bunch of the enemies near the beginning of the game get much stronger. And if I remember, and that's really vague, that may have been the problem I had before, was that, like, yeah, the the easy part that I'm used to going through all of a sudden is full of these horrible monsters that can destroy me with no added benefit to being in that area. (laughs) Um, Which, I'm over it now, and that's another thing, which, a caveat to all of this, like I just said, third or fourth time playing it, like, I know where a lot of stuff is at this point, but also... It's been the game is big enough that I've forgotten most of it, and so even this time of playing it, there are plenty of times where I'm like, "Have I never found this spot before? Like, did I find it and just forget it, or is this like legitimately a new little cave that I just never discovered?" And to, uh, to get back to the bad game design thing about Metroid Dread, and I'll stop. Is a uh, Hollow Knight, and this is such a small thing, but I think it matters so much. Never has those well, at least uh, very, very rarely, if ever has those points where you're just like stuck bashing on something, looking for a way to go forward. And I think the two reasons it's able to avoid this is because instead of having like Metroidvania games are often not, they seem nonlinear, but it's an illusion because even though you can go wherever you want, the truth is that you can only you go so have the far. Have
1: the, you have to have the thing to get exactly. the thing. Exactly, so until you get, get to X, to to and the then thing.
0: you you can only go yeah. so far till you get Y. I
1: remember, I've never played Metro, but I remember Link to the Past is famously like that. It's like, yes. you get this whole map, and it looks like you can go wherever you want, but you really, you, there's only one order in which you can visit the dungeons, because if you go in any other order, you're just blocked off.
0: Yeah, and um, I think it it causes problems, one, because... Yeah, you're not actually as free to explore as you think you are. And then two, when you do get these exploration items, really, you have one goal you're supposed to go to. Um, wherever you couldn't go before, you can go now. Um, and I think Hollow uh, Knight, first of all, with the power-ups, it gets around that by almost always giving you multiple paths you can go on. Like, I don't know how much a pain of an ass it must have been to map it out so that you wouldn't have a bunch of insane sequence breaking, but... Um, which God, the fact that I casually use that term, I'm not going to explain it, but uh, I'm a fucking nerd. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the thing is, is like you get all the items you need to move around. Let's say, and now the whole map is your oyster. But by the time you've gotten all that stuff in Hollow Knight, like you only explored like half the map, and there's still so much like new shit you can do, and like there's so many things, and, and also you're never just hitting random spots hoping for something to break because even if it's subtle. Like I think there is always a clue. It's you're you're not just bashing away at nothing, hoping to get through. And so, it's 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 not perfect. You are gonna get lost sometimes, but I feel like it is so much better than any other Metroidvania about that. And it's it's to, to to conclude uh, the 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 thing I like about Hollow Knight so much compared to Metroid Dread is that fundamentally they are the same gameplay. But I think Metroidvanias are primarily about exploration and discovery and in a metroid dread you can't ever discover anything because the computer every second of the way is telling you where to go and what to do hollow knight like you do feel alone and you're discovering or we're discovering like exploring like these ancient abandoned catacombs like there's no one around it's all secrets and mysteries and it's satisfying to find all of that and that's I'll leave it there because it's great. The game's like five years old. All the DLC is out. I don't even know if I've done all the DLC because, like I said, it's a huge game. But, yeah, Hollow Knight. Well, Love you it.
1: You talked me into it. I will replay. Uh... Oh, well, also, the sequel is supposed to be dropping relatively soon. Silk Song. Yes.
0: I, I've... That one, um... I remember when the trailer was announced, I was like, oh, it looks like more Hollow Knight. I don't know if I just need more Hollow Knight. But now that I'm playing Hollow Knight again, I'm like, fucking bring it. Come on. Oh. No, and this also, is great.
1: You've... You've talked me into it. I will. I'm gonna. I'll restart because I I got pretty far into that game and then you know I just I never quite beat it. So maybe it's it's time.
0: And if my friend uh, Jake, but still I'll have listens. to start over. Oh yeah, you almost certainly <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> It'd that's, be so that's confusing. definitely <laughs> one thing.
1: It's like there is definitely that's how big the game is. Is if you haven't played it in a while, you open it up and you look at the map and you're like, I have no idea where I am or where I'm supposed to be going. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, yeah, that's the problem, and that's like. <laughs> You know, when when trying to think of, like, new terms for uh, what the genre could be called, because, like, Metroidvania is such, like, a stupid term, I think labyrinth needs to be somewhere in or adjacent to whatever the genre is called. And I think because they're always maze-like, there are multiple ways you can go, even though most of them are wrong, and always you're kind of trying to get to the center, but I guess it doesn't really... Elaborate on the fact that you need abilities to get there. I don't know, but whatever. Metroidvania works; it's worked for twenty years. I guess I'll just. Get well, it's also it.
1: so the other. I mean, you didn't bring this up, but the other thing that I've heard it compared to, not for its uh, gameplay at all. It has a totally different style of gameplay, but for its narrative construction, people have compared it very much to a Souls-like game. Just yes, because it has the same general vibe, and it has that thing where as you move her like. Bas- like, in Dark Souls, you meet these characters, but they're never in the same place twice, and then, uh, you know, Hollow Knight, like, a big part of the game is... Uh, well, and also, it's like, uh, Sol- most of the Dark Souls games are set in, like, this vaguely post-apocalyptic uh, universe, and, you know, so in Hollow Knight, you're like, what- whatever happened, it's like, everything's, like, you know, dead or whatever. Yes. Um And you're you're meeting all of these, like, you're basically, you know, it's you and this handful of people at the end of the world who keep moving around. And they become like your buddies by the end, but mostly because they just keep showing up, like that one guy who's always happily humming.
0: Yeah, uh, that's uh, another, you're right. I I think it was compared a lot to the Souls games. I think it did borrow a lot from them, and I think it did only take good stuff, including that. And, yeah, because,
1: I mean, it does. you can't, like, build out your class or any of this, that stuff, but in terms of, like, you're moving around and you die, and if you die, you return to a certain point, and you have to get back to where you were if you want to, if of your XP and stuff. That's all very Dark yeah. Souls.
0: Well, and I guess the, it is sort of a high-difficulty game. Uh, the only reason I'm, like... No, I'm just It is. It is a hard game. Uh, I... I am kind of like going eh, ah cuz I'm like ah it's not that hard right now but then I'm like oh it's cuz like the fourth time I played it but yeah it's and the the gameplay is very simple not like too simplistic but you know you you have one attack button you don't have like a whole bunch of fancy combos you can you can attack up or forward or down and you get a couple spells but they're also not complicated but yeah, th- that doesn't mean though that the the complicated like the the combat like I said is simplistic. It's you have like so many different ways like through uh, accessories, charms, you know that you can modify your character, and the the combat itself is satisfying. But it is it'll kick your ass. And I I think what it is is like I think what sets Souls games apart like with the difficulty is just like not only that it's so unforgiving, but that when you get to a boss, bosses will be They'll have, like, eight or nine moves, and so it'll take you a good while of getting your ass kicked before you have any idea what the pattern you're even supposed to be following is. And so that is well, a and thing also your
1: also like your Like, your tools are just, like, your weapon is – your primary weapon is very short range, and your yes. primary – like, you have – you're you you can jump like a very short you know it's like you can do and all of this stuff you can optimize and upgrade a little bit to suit your play style but it's just like particularly at the beginning it's like yeah. your your timing has to be and you're like has to be pretty good to beat some of the harder bosses
0: well and it's great too the way that and now we're discussing but um the way that the magic and healing system works because You have one pool for all of your magic, and you heal out of it, too. And so you have to decide, like, do I want to heal up and get through this cavern, or do I want to spend some magic and hopefully not need to heal up, because it's going to be a long time. And then also, even though you can technically heal at any time, you can only heal while you're standing still, and it is slow to do, and you can get hit while doing it, and if you get hit... It interrupts it, you lose the health, and you don't get that magic back. So, like, battles are uh, a, a balance A too. real uh, tense
1: time. Yeah,
0: because, like, you're going to get your ass kicked, you just smash away, but if you try to heal, like, your best case scenario is a war of attrition, otherwise you're going to get bashed while you're healing. So, not complicated game, though. Just, you know, small things that are very d- done very well, so... Oh God. All right, now I felt I went that was like twice as long as I wanted to be, but that's how good of a game it is, I guess. Um Kyle, it, you know, this was a roller coaster. I, I started out so cranky, and then you had a good sentimental quality recommendation, and I have this game that I think is near perfect. Any Any parting words of solace or wisdom you want to leave with our audience as we go back into our our nerdy dungeons until next time? And if not, that's fine, because we never do anyway. I don't know.
1: I mean, it's a dark time, I guess, in the world. So just, you know, go out there, be your own personal Hollow Knight. Just take no shit from anyone, you know.
0: Hey, yeah, you know what? And
1: grind it out.
0: I I, I recently have been pushing back on a lot of shit I've been taking. And every time I think it's going to go poorly, I only find support. So I, I second Kyle and say, yeah, the world is fucked. And if you're scared about someone giving you shit, if you talk back, uh, try to get over it. Because, yeah, people will have your back. That's very vague. Uh, But, like, everything is terrible right now. (laughs) There's so many terrible things that broadly supportive statements are maybe the best we can do. (laughs) Yes.
1: (sighs) Well, you'll be able to buy a gun pretty much anywhere soon and take it with you anywhere. So that'll make standing up for yourself a little easier. I'm
0: fucking, I think about this all the time. I'm going to be a sword guy if 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 any fucking guy can be out there like packing heat um, and here's the thing Montana big gun state I'm not even anti-gun I'm not scared of guns I've been around guns my whole life I don't really want a gun I don't need a gun but they don't freak me out as much as they do a lot of people but that said because I don't want or need a gun but if other people are going to have guns I'm carrying a fucking sword that's it like that's
1: I just I don't love even... the image of someone gets into a bar you're at a like two guys are at a bar one shoves the other uh, somebody pulls out a gun and then out of nowhere Nick Hyde with the katana just slices his hand off yes that's... just straight up
0: <laughs> straight up
1: kill bill
0: and I know that we don't have this accent in Montana but I really do hope to one day <laughs> know that some some old man is like there was at the bar minding my own business having a miller Lite one. <laughs> In comes this, this balding freak with his wakazashi and there goes my wrist.
1: <laughs> That's definitely the note to leave it on.
0: Everyone carries swords. Thank you. Ooh. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>